0: Welcome to the Fortune Management Practice Mastery Podcast. Each episode, we bring you powerful conversations with thought leaders in the dental, veterinary, optometry, and medical industries. At Fortune Management, we coach doctors and teams to have an extraordinary practice and an extraordinary life. I'm Kim McGuire, host of the Practice Mastery Podcast. If you're interested in learning more about improving your relationships with dental insurance companies, this is the episode for you. My guest today is Clint Johnson, founder of Profitable PPO, and he helps dental practices improve their profitability while contracted with PPOs. In addition, they will take practices that are not currently contracted with PPOs and help them get the highest fee schedules possible. And now here's my conversation with Clint. Welcome Clint Johnson. Thank you. It's great to be with you, Kim. I'm so excited to have you on our podcast today because you uh, hold the key to a lot of the answers to a lot of frustrating questions that I know so many of our listeners have around PPOs. So thank you so much for being here.
1: Absolutely. It's a pleasure.
0: So, as I said in my intro, Clint is the founder of Profitable PPOs, and why I'm so excited about having you on is you help doctors be more profitable by being contracted with PPOs, and you help them with negotiation, fee negotiation, credentialing, et cetera. Absolutely. And so, why don't you tell me a little bit more about your business and what makes you unique, Clint?
1: Sure. So, we're very much like a a specialist, Kim, where... Unlike a traditional consulting company like a a fortune management who's got a wide variety of expertise, our expertise is focused on a very narrow niche, which is helping doctors participate as profitably with PPOs as possible. So that involves a couple of things, but mainly helping some practices who want to join PPOs to get into those PPOs at the best fees available for their area, And then secondly, for an established practice that might already have PPOs, to optimize those PPOs, to reduce the amount of write-offs, to improve the profitability so that that doctor is able to receive more revenue and consequently more profit from the patient who's already being seen in the practice. So make more without working any harder.
0: It's great you you actually make what seems to be impossible possible because so many of doctors I talk to feel so beaten down by p p o s um and their and their patients don't really know the difference, so they get really that's a big challenge for them,
1: certainly so it's insurance is a very, very complicated thing, and that's <laughs> we like to joke and say that's probably by design of of the insurance company, but there's so many options out there for doctors with plans and the plans overlap so much that it's easy to get distracted and it's easy to be focused on the patient who's in front of you today and making sure that the schedule tomorrow is full and in doing so not really understand how to participate as profitably with the plan as possible. The result is you're just working, working, working and you're making less per patient than you really could be and over time it adds up to tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars that a practice loses in revenue simply by not understanding what their options are.
0: Absolutely. And, and, you know, these doctors, they always say, I I went to dental school to to be a dentist, not necessarily be a business person. So it's great that there are options, but I agree with you. They're, they're there focused on the patients and doing what they love to to do and they're passionate about. Um, yet it's, it's hitting their pocketbook pretty significantly. So let's talk a little bit, Clint, about what do you see happening just generally in, in dental today and the dental health, healthcare landscape? You know, it's,
1: it's a, pretty amazing time in dentistry in so many ways with the technology today we're able to deliver care much more efficiently and at a higher level than than really ever before if you look at everything from the handheld digital x-ray units to the cad cam dentistry on the technology front is just changing in miraculous ways and it's it's great because patients are able to be taken care of at a high level more quickly more efficiently than than ever before uh, some of the other things that we see in in healthcare, specifically dentistry today, is that more and more patients are choosing a criteria of in-network participation as something that's paramount when they choose a new provider. They're either going to the list that the insurance companies provide them in the directory, or they're going online, or they're talking to a coworker, and saying, hey, who do you go to? Who takes our insurance? Mm-hmm. So, so more than ever before, in-network participation is a key criteria for a lot of patients. Uh, that's making it, unfortunately, more difficult for doctors who don't participate with plans to attract the number of new patients that they're really, really looking forward to to sustain growth. So that's certainly a trend that that we see. Uh, another one that's that's very, very interesting, is we see the rise and the momentum of group practices, both corporate and privately owned, and those multi-doctor practices are able to offer something that the marketplace, quite honestly, really, really appreciates, and that's the early morning hours or the evening hours or even the weekends. So we see that as a trend that is going to become stronger over time. And with the PPOs in practices, it's getting harder and harder for a solo practitioner to have the level of profitability that they might have. Luckily, technology and these options with group practices provide some viable options. Then I guess one other thing that I would say is, as far as a trend in in healthcare today, specifically dentistry, is that the administrative burden on the front desk is much more significant than it's ever been. Insurance companies are more complex. There's more nuance. There's more exclusions to policy. There's more being on hold on phone trees and more complexity at the front desk than there ever has been. And that creates a, a situation where offices need to either become more efficient with what they're doing in a significant manner or they need to outsource some of that complexity to different companies, whether it's a a billing company or a company who follows up on accounts receivable or a company like ourselves who improves the PPO profitability, it's just getting extremely tough for a a one-person or even a two-person front-desk team to manage all the administrative things. So the industry is changing. It's not all bad. There's some amazing things, but we do look forward and say there's going to be some massive changes in the marketplace going forward.
0: Right, and um, first off, I, I want to acknowledge that you really talk about how exciting dentistry is today because i don 't want this to be a downer episode of the podcast. I want it to be positive it, There are so many exciting things happening in dentistry, and you mentioned a couple of them in fact. This, we're recording this the week of, uh, CEREC 30. I'm jumping on an airplane tomorrow to go to Las Vegas and, and really celebrate the future of dentistry as, as it pertains to the digital side and how patients are going to be expecting more as far as imaging goes and, you know, same day treatment, et cetera. So there is so many, there are so many things that are exciting and I want our listeners to really know that. And at the same time, what I hear you saying, Clint, is that it's getting so complex that we're going to have to be getting Better and more efficient, not only administratively, but also are clinically. Are we are we seeing doctors are having to be more efficient in the clinical side of things as well? Is that correct?
1: Yeah, I would, I would certainly say so. What one of the impacts of of PPOs has been that the revenue per patient is at best stagnant and at worst declining. When you see that patient for, let's say, routine care, mm-hmm. so the doctor may have been getting ninety dollars for a seven or eight years ago, may only be getting seventy now because they've participated with a PPO. So it is a challenge there. However, these rises in technology, the increased efficiency, it does make it possible to continue to provide a really quality experience and a high level of care, while still doing so in such an efficient manner to have a good solid profit margin, whether it's the yeah. digital, whether it's the CEREC. As a matter of fact, I got a text from my from my doctor about an hour ago saying, hey, how are you feeling? And that's because I was in on Friday and I, I got a CEREC done. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sitting there in the chair for somebody who's a lifer in dentistry like myself, <laughs> it still is amazing to sit in a chair, have an assistant snap an x-ray with a handheld digital unit to do a CEREC and to be watching TV while the whole thing happens, to walk out with a beautiful restoration that looks, looks amazing, no discomfort at all the technology is just its amazing.
0: amazing. I love it. I know. I, th- I think that's great. I think that's great that you just had that done. What I also hear you're saying in so many words and what we're really passionate about at Fortune is the enrollment process. So learning how to read the patient and enroll them in that higher level of treatment and getting more more dollars per year per patient. So Clint, what are you seeing on average practices, and maybe you track this, maybe you don't, but seeing as their revenue per patient these days?
1: Well, we we look a lot at the revenue per procedure, and specifically we we look at hygiene because hygiene is is the bedrock of, mm-hmm. of any relationship and, and dentistry is a relationship visit. It's what allows us to see that patient every six months or every three or four if they're on, on a perio program. Sure. And so when we look at revenue per patient, it is typically going down. Now, revenue per patient by a doctor is extremely variable, as you know. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the amazing things about coaching is that the revenue per patient, per doctor, can go up significantly based on their ability to communicate well, to help patients understand the options that they have for treatment, whether it's a composite, whether it's an anomaly, whether it's a full-surface crown. So with coaching, we see that that continues to go up even if the per-procedure rate goes down. Goes down. So mm. Dentistry's always been a relationship business. I think it's going to be a relationship-based business even more strongly going forward, and quite honestly, that's, that's why we love what, sh- what you do, is it helps the doctor to have those relationship skills and those communication skills that are so critical in helping a patient understand the need and the options for comprehensive care, not just care that's dictated or covered
0: by, by the thousand dollar
1: maximum
0: or right. whatever that might be. Absolutely. And yes, you nailed it on the head. We're very passionate about communication. And I love what you said about how it still is going to be a relationship business in the future. I I, What I hear sometimes when doctors are venting a little bit to me about maybe corporate dentistry or more group practices as they feel like they're losing that touch. And I agree with you. In order for a doctor to remain profitable and, and uh, take home a, a decent salary, whether they're in a group or solo practitioner, they must continue those relationships because ultimately that's when the patient's going to say yes or not, or the team members are going to be with them long-term or not. So I agree. Certainly. Mm-hmm. And hopefully
1: look at it, I think we're seeing a trend going forward that patients are becoming more and more comfortable moving from one dentist to another. In the old days, let's say 20 years ago when, uh, when I first got into dentistry, you had a dentist and unless that dentist really did something wrong, you stayed with them. Well, the market has changed and it's easier for patients to leave a, a, a provider, but that only reinforces the need for quality relationships And I think going forward, it's going to be more frequent contact, whether it's print or social media channel, to have that relationship with the patient, both face-to-face, knee-to-knee, eye-to-eye when they're in your office, but also staying with them through different channels. And that contact the patient every six months is not necessarily a great formula going forward for retention of those patients. Dentistry has been a relationship business. I think it's going to become more of a relationship business going forward because they're they getting on Facebook, they're on Twitter, they're seeing their friends posting about their dentist, and you, a doctor really needs to be proactive with that relationship building if they're not going to be left behind.
0: Oh, I love it. I love how we have a, we're having a PPO conversation and, and it goes into marketing, one of my other favorite topics. Absolutely, we have to continually – be connecting with our patients, and and um, so that they will stay with us. I think you're right. There are patients are, are bopping around from practice to practice, and so even more important that we're looking at our new patient numbers, but also looking at our attrition and looking at how many patients are going out the back door. You know, 50 patients, new patients a month is great, but if you're losing half of them, or or your recare effectiveness rate is in the toilet, doesn't doesn't do you much good. So absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about what your company does um, as far as PPOs and helping them increase their profits.
1: Sure. So with a PPO agreement, that's typically going to require a doctor to reduce their fees for the privilege, as the insurance company would say, of being able to list yourself as a preferred provider. And it might be a discount of 20%, 30 And we frequently see 40, 45% reductions in the office fee that a a doctor will take in order to be a preferred provider. So what we do is we look at those existing agreements that practice has and we determine ways that those can be increased. So rather than having a $725 crown fee that has been assigned to you, we put together a story and an argument until we go to the insurance company and petition them for a higher fee schedule to be assigned to that particular doctor. So you can make all sorts of arguments, whether it's that you're a, a provider in a rural area or whether um, you're a high-tech dentist who has CEREC and digital and all this amazing technology. Each practice is different, so you formulate arguments differently based on the strengths of that particular practice. But many insurance companies are receptive to customizing fees that are being charged by, by a, a practice. So, as an example, if a practice does have CEREC, which is one of my passions, and that practice is doing a lot of four-surface omelettes, a 2644 code, sure, then we would want to go to the insurance company and say, this practice is unique because they're using a code for the omelette which is not highly utilized. Let's customize that for this particular doctor. And so each practice is different. But we find there are frequently options to improve the profitability. So renegotiation of an existing contract is one. Another option that is completely foreign to many doctors, and I would say probably 90%, quite honestly, is the utilization of network sharing or third-party administrators. And that's essentially where you can join one plan and you get one, two, three, in some cases, literally 275 other plans on a single fee schedule. So let me give you an example. Uh, Let's say Aetna, because it's at the top of the the list alphabetically. You can join Aetna by signing an agreement with them. Now, they'll assign you a, a crown fee, of course, as part of that. Well... You could also join Aetna through a relationship they have with Guardian. So you sign up for Guardian, you get Aetna. You could sign up with Assurant, you get Aetna. You could sign up with Premier, you could sign up with Maverick. you could sign up with Dental Network of America, with Diversified Connection, Carrington. So there are literally seven different options just for Aetna on how you can participate with them. Mm -hmm. All of those options give you in-network status. All of them result in you submitting the claim to Aetna, getting the money back from Aetna. All of them show you the preferred provider, and all seven of those options have different fees attached to them. So when we look to optimize PPO profitability for a practice, we look at that plan and say, which option of those seven is viable to this practice? And through some tweaking of how a doctor is contracted, we can frequently take a $700 crown fee, and it may go up to $900, or it may go up to $75. But that's $75 of pure profit because we're already meeting the fixed overhead.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Sure. And we're not paying any more in lab. We're not paying any more to our dental assistant. We're not paying any more in, in electrical costs. So that 75 or $125 of increased revenue on that crown is straight to the bottom line. And, yeah. and quite honestly, after we pay the tax man, it's straight to the doctor's bank account.
0: Yes. Okay. Is there another area that you want to mention that you guys do? Sure. One, one of
1: the other things that we do a lot, aside from credentialing of, of doctors, is the exploration for new doctors. So we work a lot with young doctors who are buying a practice, get them contracted in the most optimized manner, and we frequently see where a, a young doctor or an established practice buying a second location to merge will be buying a practice that has PPOs. Well, we can go in, and as a new buyer, we can negotiate fees ahead of the practice purchase so that the day the new buyer steps in, he or she is already receiving higher fee per procedure amounts what the seller was. So it's a good way for a practice purchaser or somebody in acquiring a practice down the street that they're going to merge or a second location, it's a good way to secure that investment by increasing revenue per patient Mm -hmm. by renegotiating those, those fees. So that's something we do a lot of, and it makes a tremendous difference for a new buyer because they frequently are buying practices with fees that haven't been optimized or updated in many years.
0: So for that, is it is it a must that they renegotiate before the sale happens?
1: It's certainly beneficial to, to do it ahead of the sale because there is a credentialing period that typically ranges from 60 to 120 days. So as much as possible, we'd like to do it ahead of time so that the out-of-network time after the transition takes place is minimized. Okay. Now once a practice has been purchased, if that hasn't been done, there's a short window there to go to the insurance companies and say, new buyer, new tax ID, new national provider identification number, let's talk about a viable fee schedule that would allow the new buyer to continue to see the patients that the seller had and do so as an in network provider. It makes a lot of sense, quite honestly, for the buyer to do that because they're spending... Typically hundreds of thousands of dollars to buy this practice, and what you're essentially trying to buy when you buy a practice is, of course, the hard assets. But also, you're trying to buy a revenue stream. You're paying sure. four, five hundred thousand, eight, nine hundred thousand, whatever the amount is, to buy access to patients who are going to see you. So, if you were to start out and immediately not participate with the same plans that the seller had, you're already putting up a barrier between the new buyer and the patients that they've just purchased. And there's already a small barrier between the lack of a relationship. You buy it, the new patients don't know you. Sometimes they go, oh, maybe now's a good time to go to the doctor who's just a block away instead of five miles away. Mm-hmm. So you want to minimize those barriers that you're putting up. And we certainly feel like continuing to participate in the same plans that the seller had is a pretty smart thing for a buyer sure. to do mm-hmm.
0: to
1: secure that investment.
0: Okay. Um, Going back to the area that you all provide to your clients, renegotiating fees, when you do that, first of all, first question, do you recommend that practices do this themselves and what barriers do they come across when they try and do that?
1: So there is without question the option for practices to work on this on their own. Now, I, I would tell you that it's, frequently not as effective because, quite honestly, it involves a lot of time on the phone, it involves a lot of communication, and if a doctor is going to try and do that, they're trying to do it between patients, and that's very difficult to do. If you're going to delegate it to your front desk person, well, it's difficult to have that front desk person on hold for 45 minutes with an insurance company when there's patients coming in and out of the door, you need to collect the money, you need to seek the patient. You need to do all these, these different things. So yes, an office can do some of it, but it can't be done at the level that.
0: That you can do it at. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, because there's, there's a lot of analysis that goes into it. We will look at a new practice, a new client for us, and we're going to look at every contract they have and figure out not only how are they contracted, but who are they contracted with that has relationships with other companies and put together a comprehensive game plan. We, we really love the dental model where a patient comes in and you sit down and you do a comprehensive exam mm-hmm. and you figure out what the status is in their mouth and where it could go. That's the same type of approach we take. We don't do anything until we've sat down and we've looked at everything in a comprehensive manner to say how do all these insurances interact which one are we doing a lot of volume with? Who do they have relationships with? And we put together a plan. Otherwise, it would be akin to a doctor saying, well, I'm just gonna do the composite on number 16, and I'm going to not worry about the raging decay in number four.
0: The, yes, yes, got it. Absolutely, do you, do you look at um, you know the 20 most common fees or, or the 20 most common procedure codes, or do you look at every single procedure code?
1: Great question. We, we look at about 30 codes, mm-hmm. and when we look at those codes, we're looking at a couple of things. One, and, and you're exactly right, those in a typical office, 30 codes will make up somewhere between 85 and 95 percent of total revenue. So we analyze wow. that so we know what those codes are. Mm-hmm. Uh, secondly, we then compare that to area utilization, so we have access to how many profis are filed in a doctor's area. So we can compare that doctor's fees with utilization, and we're looking for anomalies. Uh, again, referring to CIRAC just because it's an easy example. If a doctor is doing a lot of CIRACs and doing OMLAs, that's an infrequently used code. We want to see how the utilization in that doctor's practice compares to the area, and that then becomes a leverage point. On the flip side, if that doctor has their best friend who is an endodontist and is just down the street two blocks and is never going to do endo again as long as he practices and refers everything to his friend, then we don't want to make endo a focus. And quite honestly, sometimes we may agree to reduce the endo fees. If, you know, Who cares if, if molar endo fee goes up if the doctor is never going to do it? Maybe we allow that to go down in exchange for getting uh. something higher on the all porcelain crown that the doctor does every single day.
0: Makes so much sense. I got it. Okay. Great. But you really do look at it comprehensively. And I think the difference between having, you know, the administrative team member do it and you do it is that you understand sort of the second part of what you, what you all offer the third party administrators and the relationships between the companies. I think this is what stumps a lot of folks up, um, when they're looking to maybe renegotiate or when they're looking to possibly even drop some insurance. Um, yeah. Okay. You know, we, we find
1: an interesting thing there, Kim, where we'll have clients new to us and they'll come and they say, we dropped a plan and now we're getting even worse fees. And unfortunately it happens a lot that because there's relationships between so many companies, You can drop a plan, go out of network, and that will be picked up through somebody with lower fees. And that's a very scary thing because you don't necessarily even know that it's going to happen. So on our end, we spend a significant amount of time if we're going to contend to potentially drop a plan, we have to study it out and, and have a good landing place as we would say. We the terminology we use is that they're gonna become a free agent. You know? Right we terminate the agreement. They're a free agent. Who are they going to attach themselves to? And we need to have somebody to attach them to who has higher fees, not lower
0: fees. Yes, absolutely. So that actually goes into another question. I do have a couple of clients that maybe have bought an existing practice that have, that are signed on with many or contracted with many, many insurance companies, and they want to be more of a blend of fee-for-service and PPO. So if they are looking to drop some or one or two or a handful, how do they go about doing that?
1: Sure. The, the first thing to, to look at is an assessment of how much volume you're doing with each one of those companies because we don't we don't want to hurt ourselves and make a rash decision by dropping a plan that we don't like without a really thorough understanding of the impact it's going to have on existing revenues. So we have to assess that and how much volume are we doing with each one of those top 30 codes by that particular insurance company. So that's the first thing we look at second thing would be to say, if we drop it, where is it going to go, and let's make sure that it's either going to go out of network yes. or it's going to go to a higher network and certainly not a, a lower one. Correct. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. if, if you're going completely out of network and that is your intent, then you need to, to be clear that you're not going to get picked up through anybody else and then be careful how you communicate that to the patients because, again, dentistry is a relationship business. And an insurance company is going to say, well, you need to notify your patients. And that's true. We should we should tell our patients and we should always be honest with the patients. Mm-hmm. But that does not mean we have to send a letter to the patient and say, We no longer take your insurance. What you can do is you can have again that knee-to-knee eye-to-eye conversation, and say we made some changes to how we participate with your plan, and here's what it's going to mean for you. Now, if you've done your due diligence up front, you've looked at the benefit coverage tables for that particular insurance, and you might know that their preventive care is still covered at 100% whether you're in-network or of network So if you've done your homework and you've prepped, you can look them in the eye and say, we've made some changes. Now, what I want you to know is, first, you're going to continue to be welcome here in our office. Second, we're going to continue to maximize all of the insurance benefits that you have. Third, as we've checked it, your preventive care is covered at 100%. So right now, we've already restored your mouth, let's say. Uh, You can continue to come here. Your insurance is going to continue to pay 100% of the preventive care, just like it always has. And you can just... Have a conversation with the patient. And if you have a decent relationship, you're not going to lose a huge number of those patients. The ones you do lose are going to be gradual, and it's going to be slow attrition versus a mass exodus. And so you're making that move. You do so also with an understanding, how many new patients are we attracting? Are we attracting enough new patients that if we have some slow attrition, we're easily able to backfill and offset any losses?
0: Yes. And so I think that there's some belief systems that might be limiting some of the administrative folks when they're having these conversations. So let's say if we're out of network, the insurance will still cover 100%, but what about the restorative needs? You know, how do they speak to that?
1: Sure. So so again, you've got to look and do your research up front Mm -hmm. and look at the benefit tables of those companies who you're considering dropping.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: But we know that restorative care is infrequently done. It may, out of ten patients, a doctor may only diagnose four with a restorative need. Mm-hmm. And so, of those ten patients, again, using just get as an example, of ten and a patients, you may only have three who who have restorative needs in in a week. And then you can sit down with them and have that conversation. Say, hey, there are some differences between what you might have had before and what you have now we would hope that for the difference of a few dollars and the quality of care that we have and the technology and the relationship you've already established with our office over so many years that you'll still feel comfortable coming to us quite honestly many, many practices, it's completely irrelevant at that point. People want typically their preventive care paid for and that's what they're focused on. And very few of them are actually concerned about what the cost of a crown is going to be twelve months away right. or eighteen months down the road that they don't need at that point.
0: Well I love that scripting that you did and, and I also think it's important That we're not making the insurance company wrong. You know, internally, those of us in the dental industry, we, we do know that there are some challenges to some of the changes that they're making. Yet the patient doesn't really know this. And oftentimes they just have a benefit from the business that they work at or that their spouse works at. So they, and there, and some person in HR department made the decision. So it's, we don't want to make the patient wrong. And we certainly don't want to make the insurance company wrong.
1: Absolutely. I I think it's uh, years ago I I heard a a phrase, and and we recommend all of our our practices use it, and that's to say your insurance works great in our practice, (laughs) whether you're in network or not. Mm -hmm. Yep, I love that it it works works great in your practice, and that's the truth. You're going to maximize every dollar, and whether you're in network or out of network, you're still going to have eighty to one hundred percent of preventive care covered. You're still going to get anywhere from fifty to sixty percent of their crown covered, and most plans do work very well in the practice, and that's a completely separate issue from whether you have in-network PPO status or not.
0: Absolutely. And we haven't even touched on the fact that we want the belief system of the doctor and the team to be that they're the ones diagnosing and treating the patients, not the insurance, the insurance company is not dictating their treatment. And I think that's such an important belief system that they need to take on if they want to be profitable. I mean, they, they, don't, they don't have to do anything. However, I know in Fortune, we teach that we want to make sure that the doctor has the confidence to, to make the diagnosis as he or she f- sees fit.
1: Insurance is meant to be a supplement. It's not a a factor in what we should diagnose and it shouldn't, as much as possible, be a barrier to a patient's. Deciding to get the best quality care that should be based on the doctor's diagnosis and relationship, and quite honestly, clinical abilities to deliver the, the standard of care that the patient deserves.
0: Absolutely, and I think really what we're talking about is really educating our patients. It's just a it's a part of what we need to do. Sure. So, um, Clint, let's let's. I wanted to ask you, what are some of the big mistakes that doctors make when they're signing up for PPOS? Maybe some young doctors that are buying a practice. Um, or, or starting a practice on their own, or maybe some later stage uh, doctors that are deciding that they need to start participating in PPOs?
1: Well, that's a good question. Um, I would say that there's a couple really big mistakes that, that doctors make. The first is to sign up for plans that come across their desk without an understanding of how it's going to impact Existing patient revenues. So we call that cannibalization. We don't want to cannibalize our existing revenues by signing up for a plan. And so there needs to be some, some thorough analysis done there. You don't want to take a 10, 15, or $20,000 loss on existing revenues with the hope that you're going to attract enough new patients to offset that. Because many of these plans you, you quite frankly will not. The second thing that Fits with that is that doctors sign plans without an understanding of who's going to fall under that plan. So I cited Edna and there's, they have relationships with with seven different companies. We could look at United Healthcare and they have relationships with other companies. We look at a company like Dentimax, let's say. That's the largest one in the country. That has relationships at last count. I think it was about 276 Companies have a relationship with Dentamax. So you sign one Dentamax contract and all of a sudden you're in network for all these people whom you've never heard of. And that can certainly negatively impact revenues very quickly in a way that was completely unintended and unknown. So if a doctor is going to look at a plan, always, always, always either look at the documentation closely or contact the rep or contact the company and say, who else do you have relationships with that I need to be aware of? Because those unintended ones are frequently a gotcha that is the painful one. Uh, I would also say that one other mistake that doctors with PPOs make, especially when when signing up, is that they don't adequately set up their software. And so we frequently see doctors who have it set up incorrectly, meaning they now participate with this insurance company, and so they're going to submit the fee of the PPO to the insurance company. Well, that's not really the right way to do it. What you should be doing as a practice is your treatment plan at the PPO fee. That's the fee that we base the patient's copay off of, and that's the amount that the office ultimately expects to collect and deposit into the, to the checking account for the, for the practice. But when we submit a claim, the only way we ever assure that we get maximum reimbursement is to submit the UCR. UCR now, almost yeah. every good practice management software on the marketplace today, and certainly the big ones, you can call them up and in ten minutes this can be set up correctly where you say we want to treatment plan at PPO fees, we want to submit UCR fees. I will tell you a horror story. We see this on a regular basis. Weekly we see this. Where an office with multiple providers is submitting the PPO fees and some of those providers worked in another office previously as an associate and they're still contracted under the old fees or they're not contracted in the same way as an associate as the owner doctor and what that creates then is the office is submitting the PPO fee that they think that associate is going to receive and it's entirely the wrong fee. We had a situation in Houston, Texas recently, where it was only a two-doctor practice, but the office manager had set it up with the doctor's blessing to submit PPO fees to the insurance company. The problem was doctor number two was contracted at a fee about $230 or so higher on the crown than doctor one. But because they were submitting the doctor one fee, that doctor was getting $230 of production less on every crown for a period of several years before they became a client and and we found that. So that's one of the big mistakes is setting up your software incorrectly as well.
0: So uh, that's such a a huge point. I hope our listeners are listening to that. Um, Now, I heard you say you want a treatment plan at the PPO fee. So do you want to communicate to your patient... What the UCR fee is, so that they know the "quote unquote" discount that they're already getting. Yeah,
1: you know, that's that's a it's an interesting question, and quite honestly, I think it varies from office to office depending on the clinical excuse me on the communication ability of the the practice. Certainly, there are a lot of practices where you'll sit down to discuss finances with the patient, and it's appropriate to say. You know, we diagnosed you with, uh, with a crown in the upper right and another one in the upper left because you have some significant decay there. So much decay that we're not able to just remove it and do a simple filling. We need to remove a significant amount of crown structure, of a two structure and, and do a crown. Now, our typical fee is $1,100 for a crown. However, your insurance works really, really well here. And as a contracted provider, an in-network provider, what that means for you is that your fee is only going to be nine hundred and fifty dollars. So instead of twenty-two hundred, you're at nineteen hundred dollars. So isn't it great to have insurance? And then you, as a practice, look good on several fronts. One is you're saying, you're telling them that they have a nice plan that works well. You're reinforcing to them that they made a good choice in coming to you and continuing to come to you. Secondly, you've also positioned it as we're making the decision to do these crowns or the recommendation to do these crowns based on it being the best treatment for you, not because it's based on the cheapest thing that's out there.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. I love that languaging. I think that's extremely important that the, that the patient knows because sometimes they do ask for discounts and what we always want to coach our practices is to having the team member help the patient understand this already is your discount. We're contracted with your insurance company. so. Um, and I completely agree when they submit the claims, you must, must have the UCR fee on there. And what I've heard in the past, correct me if I'm wrong, Clint, do the insurance companies keep track of what your UCR crown fee or what your UCR fee is? Oh,
1: absolutely. They,
0: they keep track There's, of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: So w- when we do the analysis that I, I mentioned for a practice, We look at the utilization, but we we look at that database. So we literally utilize the same insurance company database that they use. Mm -hmm. And from that, we're able to ascertain what the utilization is of a particular code, but also what the range of fees are from the mean average all the way up to the 95th percentile. If you are not submitting your UCR fee, to a small degree, you're showing the average charge in an area is less. Now, I will tell you all the time that we have insurance companies say to us, the doctor is submitting $800 on the crown, and they're contracted with us at 750 Why, you know, why, why is there a problem?
0: In- mm-hmm, right. Why should we increase and, and it? It's
1: because, yeah, it's because the doctor in thinking that they don't want to have their office fee be at an appropriate mm-hmm. level, they just keep it slightly higher above their PPOs. It's still important whether you have one or two PPOs or whether you have ten, you should still continue to update your office fees and they should be commensurate with your area and the level of care that you provide, the investments and technology that yes. you make. And whether you're writing a fifty or three hundred and fifty, your UCR fees should still reflect the value that you offer for your particular marketplace.
0: Absolutely. I completely agree. I have so many, you know, we give them a fee schedule analysis every year and some of our clients say, well, it doesn't matter anyways. I'm contracted with so many insurance companies. And I always explain to them exactly that you need to, you've made investments in your clinical skills and technology. You've got to increase your fees. Very well, another good. Another point there mm-hmm. I, would, I would
1: point out to him is in the majority of states in the, in the country, there is a non-covered services law that allows you to charge, now I believe it's 33 out of 50 states, so not everyone, but in the majority of states, you're able to charge your full office fee on many procedures if it's a non-covered procedure. So let's use veneers as an example. If a PPO fee schedule will show a $700 veneer fee, let's say, but if you're in a state with a non-covered procedures law, you don't. Necessarily have to abide by that $700 fee. You might charge, you might be able to use your $1,100 UCR fee. So it's important in a situation like that, whether it's a veneer or whether it's a smaller dollar procedure like a a fluoride on an adult patient, non-covered procedures, make sure your UCR fees are set at a rate that reflects your market position and your skill and, and your tenure and all of those things so that on those non-covered procedures, you get a fair fee. It's a great way to increase profitability pretty quickly on both routine care. If we add, let's say, a, a fluoride on the dole that $40 and that's the UCR fee and it's a non-covered state, we get $40, but if we're utilizing that PPO fee, not knowing whether we have a, a non-covered services law, we may only have a twenty-five dollar fee put into the computer. So you've got to update your UCR fees, and again, you've got to submit the UCR fees. Otherwise, you're unwittingly costing yourself fifteen dollars on that that adult fluoride mm-hmm. and four or five hundred dollars on veneers. And we see that honestly every single day. We find doctors come into our business. And they've been using five six seven hundred dollar fees for veneers, and they've been abiding by codes that are non covered and it's costing tens of thousands of dollars of profit in their practice just by not knowing those things
0: Wow, that's significant, it just adds up over time well, wow that's such great information so did you want to go over some of the different options for PPO participation
1: sure there's the the options typically fall into three categories. Okay. And each one of the categories gives you a network status and puts you on the list of the insurance company, let's say, because that's important to some doctors. Uh, But those three options that we would look at are what we would call a direct agreement. So you sign, as a doctor, an agreement with a specific insurance company. That's a direct agreement. Their name is the top line, your name is the bottom line, and it's signed there, and you're contracted with them. That's option one. Option two is what's called a network share, and that's when two insurance companies share a fee schedule. So you joined company A, you get company B. Conversely, you could join B and get A. So the game, so to speak, is to compare both options because you're going to end up at the end of the day with both plans in your practice, explore both options, and choose the higher of those two. That's called a network share. Mm -hmm. The third option is similar, but more complex, and that's what's called a third-party administrator. Now, that is an umbrella company, and so under that umbrella company, you sign up with that. It may have 15 different Companies underneath it. It may have, as I mentioned, up to 275 different companies. And you can join that. It's a fast way to get into a lot of networks, but there are some downsides in that it puts you into maybe more networks than you realize. The interesting thing about those three options is many companies have all three available. So that means there are multiple options to participate with that plan at different fees and sometimes it's significant we will see differences of 200 250 even up to $300 more per crown based on which of the options that doctor chooses wow. so again it's a due diligence and thing it takes time it honestly it takes several months in some cases to analyze all of this and see what option makes the most sense and to start the maneuvering there. But if we're looking at $200 per unit times however many units per month times the period of years, we're talking tens of thousands of dollars just on, on a crown fee. Add in composites and endo and perio and preventive care and it adds up to hundreds of thousands of dollars. Either way, you're going to be a network. Either way, the patient finds you in their directory. Either way, the EOB comes back from the same insurance company. But the doctor shorts himself tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars simply by not exploring all of those options.
0: Wow. It's, it's very complex. I'm so, glad, I'm so glad you're here and you're a great option for our clients and our listeners to to bring on to help navigate this convoluted and complex uh, area of their business um, wow, that's amazing, so is there anything else, Clint, that you want to share about what you do and and how you look at the p p o landscape
1: sure i i would say I would say this even if a practice only has a couple of plans, it makes sense on a regular basis to either be Contacting those companies and exploring those to understand what the options are or have somebody like us do it. Somebody needs to do it. Now, whether, whether it's us, whether it's them, somebody needs to do it because when you accept a PPO, with that comes the acknowledgement that you're going to reduce your fees for as long as you're on that plan. And an insurance company is more than happy to let you keep a fee schedule from three years ago or five years ago or, heaven forbid, ten years ago without any adjustments if you're not proactive in understanding the options and addressing those to try and optimize it. The coaching that you guys do is so key and so crucial, but it's only accelerated if when a patient says yes, they're saying yes to a higher Fee procedure than they may have if it was just an untouched PPO from five six years ago.
0: So interesting. Well, thank you so much for that information. I love for our listeners to get to know some of our our guests on a more personal level. So, Clint, what's been some a best piece of personal or professional advice that you've that you've received?
1: Well, that's a good question. You know, uh, dentistry is in in my family, so my my father was a dentist. My grandfather was a dentist. My great grandfather was a dentist. <laughs> I have two uncles who own dental labs. Uh, my wife is a hygienist. Uh, so dentistry is kind of all we do in, in my family, and I've I've loved the field. But when I when I think back at some of the best advice, I would go back to my dad, who had a very very good practice, very quality practice, uh, extremely successful. And there were two things that, that he told me when I was young that stuck with me. The first was that it's easy to sleep well at night if you're honest with your customers. And if you're honest with them, you never have to worry about trying to remember what was said or how you positioned it. Honesty rules everything. And then I, I remember, as a young kid, I was probably 20 years old, and I, I was saying, "You you should really push push the crowd more. You you let him walk out without <laughs> saying yes." Mm-hmm. Now this this was a 20 year old kid who didn't have a whole lot of experience telling a a 45 year old experienced dentist what he should do. And I'll never forget he he told me he said, "A good relationship is more enjoyable and over time more profitable than a quick dollar." Yes. And what he meant there was, and this was his philosophy, and I I think it's so appropriate for for so many people, if I keep them in the practice and I see them on a regular basis and I take good care of them and I can continue to educate them so that they will always stay in my practice, at some point they're going to do that crown, they're probably going to do the bridge, and they're probably at some point when they have the money going to do the veneers. So the, the thing there that I took away was, Focus on the relationship. Don't do things that are going to be such a hard sell to the patient that you risk spending them. Keep them in the practice. And for my own business, I would say that's that's our approach as well. As we we really strive to have a relationship business, um, with the idea that hopefully we continue to work with our clients for years and years. Because certainly the situation with PPOs is different today than it was. Two years ago, and the situation two years from today is going to be dramatically different than it is today. So things are going to continue to evolve. Dentistry is a relationship business, and hopefully we've mirrored that in in our own business. And that's one thing I'll forever be uh, appreciative for to my father for, for teaching me.
0: Oh, that's wonderful! I love that. Well, I come from a family of dentistry too, so I, I love that we're kindred spirits that way. Um, and I and I, I love the relationship side and fortune management. We are obviously also about relationships and long term coaching relationships with our clients. So I'm so glad we were able to bring you on the podcast today so that you can communicate this to our listeners. Tell me, Clint, how can a doctor or a team member look you up on the web? How can we get a hold of you? Sure.
1: Well, um, certainly they can visit us on the web. Our website is profitablePPOs.com. They can also contact us. Uh, our phone number is 855. 855- PPO gain, G-A-I-N, and what we offer for, for those people who are interested is we have a, a free report on the website called How to Reduce PPO Write-Offs and Improve PPO Profitability that they can get. And we also offer a uh, complimentary assessment with a phone consultation so that we can sit down over the phone with the doctor and tell them what some of their options and their opportunities are with PPOs might be. And after having done this for a number of years in a thirty minute call, we're able to, to really share with the doctor what those options are and what those opportunities would be. And if they'd like help, we're happy to do so. If they want to give it a go on their phone, they'll at least be able to start down the right path and have some understanding of, of where they'd like to, to end up with at the end of the
0: day. Wow, that's great. Well, I will, of course, put all that information on our show notes, both on our website and on iTunes. And I just want to thank you so much, Clint, for spending some time with me today and for who you are for the dental industry and just helping people out and helping people make more money with the changing landscape of PPOs.
1: Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure and it's it's such a pleasure to to deal with Dennis. It, it truly is just a, a great group of people and we, we feel privileged every day to, to work with Dennis.
0: Wonderful. Thanks so much and have a great day. Thanks, Kim. You too. Thank you for listening to the Practice Mastery Podcast. For more information on fortune management and to find an event in your area, please visit fortunemgmt.com.